when you're in a hurry, it's hard to do things. And I was trying to get down from the baptistry and get my button snapped on my shirt, and I couldn't do it. So anyways, uh, uh, I was, uh, Nick, I'm thankful sometimes for long prayers. Uh, as Nick prayed a long prayer. If you're watching online, man, we are so glad you're with us. Uh, we're excited that you're here. Those of you here at our Battlefield campus, uh, if you've only been here for one week during the Hebrews series, you picked the right week to be here. This is, uh, for me, by far the best chapter in the book of Hebrews. It's an amazing chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. If you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and pull that out. I, I reminded folks in the last service, we're going to use it every week, so you might as well bring it. So just it's a good habit to, to be in. But this is a great chapter. You don't want to miss anything. I, I've titled this message, uh, Living a Life Headed to the Hall, because Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. And, and really what Hebrews chapter 11 is doing, it's, it's speaking to first century Jews who had committed their life to follow Christ. They had become Christians, but they were facing trials and difficulties. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, lists all these great saints of old in their, in their life, and he shares their story as a means to encourage these first century believers and also as a means to encourage us as followers of faith. And there's probably not a better chapter in the entire Bible to help us uh, get a clearer picture of what it really means to live by faith. Because faith can be kind of one of those fuzzy words that we're really just not sure uh, what it means. And so Hebrews chapter 11 really helps us with that. And so uh, I hope that you gain from this. And so why did I, I title this uh, Living a Life Headed to the Hall? Because no matter what it is that you do uh, in your life, you, you want to be the best at it, I, I would guess, or at least most of you. No, nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I'd, I'd just like to live a mediocre life. That'd be really cool with me. I mean, you want to, or if you do, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But, but we want to be the best. And certainly as a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to be all that God wants us to be. And Hebrews chapter 11 really and truly can help us uh, with that. And again, it's not going to be based on our own effort, but based on what God does in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for, meaning we have confidence because of our trust in God for what is coming, because God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he will do, and assurance about what we do not see. So we believe what is coming in the future. We have confidence in what's coming in the future, and we believe what happened in the past, even though we were not there to see it, because of what God has done in our life in the present, through what the Lord Jesus has done in our life in the presence, and that gives us that assurance. Uh, verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? Big faith. They were commended for their faith and trust in God. And listen, if you want to please God, study Scripture, really one of the only things in Scripture that pleases God is our, is our faith. It's just lived out in obedience, that we're trusting Him, that we're relying on Him, that we're dependent upon Him. That, those words are kind of used interchangeably for faith. Now, here we go, verse 3, by faith. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, I want to stop here for a second because Hebrews chapter 11 really unpacks so many facets of faith. We're going to get just a richer and deeper understanding of faith. Well, one of the things the writer of Hebrews is going to do is faith really is always a response to the revelation of God, right? Faith is a response to the revelation of God. So look at verse 3 again in light of that, right? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen, meaning the created order, was not made out of what was visible. So the writer of Hebrews is saying God has revealed himself one way. Watch this. One way God has revealed himself is through the created order. We can look around at creation, and, and, and really we ought to be able to, to say that, that creation screams a creator. Paul does the same thing in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and, and, and 20. Uh, verse 4, by faith, Abel 
bought, uh, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though that he's, he's dead. Now, if you're new to, new to Bible study, this is a story of Adam and Eve's children. In fact, as you study through Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, and it lists all these different characters, they're really going in chronological order uh, in the Scripture. They, they, they start from the very beginning in Genesis and just move forward. And so we have the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is assuming that the audience understood their, their story because these are, these are Jews that knew the Scripture uh, very deeply. And so what do we know about their story? God called Cain and Abel to bring an offering to him. Abel brought an offering that was by faith, meaning he trusted God. He came to God on, on God's terms, not his own, and God was pleased with his offering. But, but Cain brought an offering that was not an offering motivated by faith. In other words, Abel put all his eggs in the God basket. Cain sort of hedges his bet and kind of comes to God on his own terms, and God is not pleased with Cain's offering. So Cain in his anger, and that's kind of, he, he, Cain's kind of the first picture, the first legalist in Scripture. He's angry, and then he responds and ultimately kills his, his brother. And so we're going to talk about that and how dangerous it is to, to come to God on our own terms. But verse 5, here we go. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he not, did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So as we look at this, the next character in the biblical nar narrative is a man we don't know much about. His name is Enoch. We see him in Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch was a man who loved God, which gives us another facet of faith. Faith is relational. It is responding to God in trust, not because we have to, but because we want to, because of our love relationship with him. And Enoch walked so closely and loved God so deeply that one day Enoch was just no more. Uh, God just brought Enoch, Enoch home. He didn't have to experience uh, physical physical death. Uh, if you were one of Enoch's friends, you're like, where's Enoch? I don't know. Uh, he's just gone, right? Verse 6, and without faith, I love verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about this for just a second. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You, you, you see, faith is to our spiritual lives in many ways what our eyes are to our physical lives. Our eyes allow us to see and take in the physical but faith allows us really to take in the spiritual. And what, what, what we need most is found in the spiritual realm. And so it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Listen, you cannot come into a relationship with God apart from faith, meaning we have to trust Christ and Christ alone. Does that make sense? But as we continue to grow in our relationship with God, if we're going to receive anything from God, this is so powerful, if we're going to receive anything from God, it is going to come through our faith and our trust in, in, in God. So he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I want to flip the script really quickly, and we'll come back to this at the end, but with faith, if we flip this verse upside down, with faith, it is possible to please God, right? And that's encouraging, isn't it? Okay, I was just going to wait because if not, we just need to start over. Sure, because we want the pleasure of God. So it is possible. Like we could be really kind of beaten down. How in the world could I ever have God's pleasure over my life with all I've done and all I've experienced? Through faith in Christ, we can have the pleasure of God. Now, um, Verse uh, 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah's a great story. What did God warn Noah was coming? I mean, help me. Let's just play along here. If you're watching online, just say it out loud. 
a flood, right? But Noah lived in a desert. Noah, Noah had never seen the Mediterranean. Noah had probably never seen it rain. So Noah didn't fully understand what God meant uh, when he said a flood was coming. But Noah obeys God even when he doesn't fully understand what God is doing, right? And so that's a great picture of faith. And so we, faith, it doesn't just obey when we understand it. Faith just doesn't obey when we like it. Uh, faith obeys when God commands it, right? That's what we see in, in, in Noah's life. Uh, verse, verse 8 by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went. I mean, Abraham's 75 years old. He's got it dialed in in Ur with all of his family and all of his possessions. And God calls him to get up and move and go to a land. Listen to what the scripture says. Even though he didn't know where he was going, but he still obeyed because he had received a revelation of God and he responded on that. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward. This is so important. You ought to underline that in your Bible. That's what faith does. Faith realizes that not everything in this present life is going to be tied into a neat bow, but it's looking forward to the promises of God. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now look on down at verse 13. Look at these couple verses, then I want to make a couple points today. And these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Now, that's interesting, right? In the hall of faith, they don't receive everything that was promised in this lifetime. We have to be prepared for that. They only saw them and saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In the Greek, there, it's a, when it says they saw them and welcomed them from a distance, it's kind of a, a word that means they sort of gave it a salute. Like you know what? They were saluting to the promises of God. They understood that. They came under its authority, and they realized that it wasn't all going to be fleshed out here and now. But they knew God was going to keep his keep his promises ultimately in eternity. They welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That, that, that's the, that, that's very interesting. Now, listen, faith doesn't cause you to be weird. Some Christians just act weird. Does that make sense? It doesn't cause you to be weird, right? There's just some Christians just act strange. That's just a bad representation of God. But if you're living a life of faith, uh, you will live like a stranger and alien on this world, different than the way the world lives, because this isn't all there is. You're living very differently. You have a whole different worldview. It may not make sense to everybody, right, in the way that you're living and responding. People who say such uh, things show that they are looking forward to a country of their own, right? They realize this isn't all there is here. There's something far better awaiting. I can live like a stranger and an alien now because I know one day I'll be home. Does that make sense? Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. This is such an important principle for this first century audience. You have to understand this. They're facing trials and difficulties, and they're thinking about going back under their old system. And he says, the reason you're thinking about going back is you're putting all your eggs in this basket here and now. You're not looking forward to what God has for you in the future. By looking forward to what God has, it helps you to make sense out of the temporary struggles and difficulties uh, that you're going through. And man, we need to be prepared. We need to, we need to know this stuff. If they'd been thinking of the country, verse 15, they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing, I love that, longing for a better country. I don't think in the church today, I don't think in my life today, we live with a whole lot of longing for the new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth. You see that? I think we really long for God to make our situation right here 
better. You know, build my kingdom here and now. But those who were in the hall of faith, they longed, they had a longing for, for home, to be in the presence of God fully. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. I've wrestled with that, that last part of that passage all week because, you know what, if, if I'm not living for a longing for home, the Scripture says that God is not ashamed for those who are living for a longing, but wonder if I don't live with a longing. In a sense, I'm really not trusting the promises of God in, in a certain way, and is God ashamed of me because of that? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So here we go. I want to make kind of six points uh, about the passages that we've looked at that I think could help us live a life headed to the hall. Because I don't know where you, where, where you are in your life or what you're about. I mean, I, I think that most of us want, want to live a life that's headed to the hall. We want to make a difference. We want to be great at whatever it is that God has, has called us to. I remember when I was a kid growing up playing baseball, I wanted to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right? That's actually in Cooperstown, New York. My last name is Cooper. I thought, that makes sense. I should be there. I didn't get there, but I lived with a, with a longing. If you grew up playing football, you want to make it to the Football Hall of Fame, which is in Canton, Ohio. Right? Canton, Ohio. Right, but uh, maybe you didn't get there. Or if you're a musician, rock and roll musician, you'd love to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is in Cleveland, Ohio. But but good news, let's just say you're a country music artist. You want to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame? It's only 35 miles down the road in Nashville, Tennessee. Is the Country Music Hall of Fame? And so I, I think we ought to live with a longing for the hall, but a whole different type. Living with a longing to be all that God's called us to be and to live a legacy. And listen, we just all have a set number of years. Would you agree with that on this earth? And let's make a mark with the time that God's given us. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to make a mark? Don't you want to live a legacy? Don't you want to live a life that's headed to the hall? Would you agree with that? Yeah, six of you, that's all I need. Well, let, let's look at a couple of things. Here's some keys to living a life headed to the hall. I, I think this could, if you're a dad today on Father's Day, I, I think these principles that we see are principles that could help you be a hall of faith dad, right? If you're a mom, no matter where you are, you're a college student, these are the kind of principles that can really supercharge your life and help you be all that God desires for you to be. Well, the first thing we've got to be if we're going to live a life headed to the hall is we've got to be focused, would you agree there are a lot of distractions in this world? I mean, you're facing distractions right now. You can listen, listen to me and, and look at the Scripture. Somebody just texted you and there's plans, and so you're looking at your phone. Just a lot of distractions that we have, right, in this world. I understand that. But, but let's, let's think about this. If you're great at something, whatever it is that you're great at, you have this unyielding focus on it. Show me somebody who's great at something. I'll show you somebody who has a serious focus on what they're doing. And I think spiritually, that's a, that's a very important principle. Like if you're a great baseball player, your head never leaves the ball. If you're a great musician, your eyes never leave the conductor. But here's the thing about faith. Every single time we see the word faith in the Old Testament, um, it is in a, in a, 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 as a verb, Right? So the part of speech, it's a verb. Faith is doing something, right? We, but we live in a culture today that we, we kind of make faith the object. Faith is never the object. Faith always has to have the right object, right? So a person of faith has to be focused on the right object, and it's something outside of yourself. So much of what I hear today many times in, in preaching and teaching is sort of just motivational speak, like you've got everything you need inside of you. You, you, you just need to be able to kind of harness the 
strength, the energy, and the intellect you have to be all that you can be. But listen, faith understands something differently, understands that the object that I need to be focused on is outside of me. It's the Lord Jesus. Faith always has to have an object. And, and so here's what's important. Those that are headed for the hall are for those who focus their little faith on a big God. Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to be thrown into the sea. Now, the point is that we don't go around casting mountains into the sea. The point is we understand that God can take my little faith, my bit of trust in him. If, if it's placed in the right way, if it's focused on him, then he can do amazing things in my life. Well, what is faith? Let's kind of define it even a little bit deeper. Faith is a confident assurance. That's what we saw in verse 1, Hebrews 11. 1. It's a confident assurance that God is who he said he is and that God will do what he said he will do. Do you believe that? Is God who he says he is? Is he creator? Yeah. Is he sovereign over all things? Is he going to do what he said he would do, which is come again? He's going to judge the hearts of men, women, and boys and girls. So faith is this constant assurance that God is who he says he is, and that he's going to do what he said he will do. I was uh, teaching fourth grade in Bible school this week, and a lot of times since I was teaching uh, the fourth graders, they weren't exactly picking up what I was putting down. You know what I, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I was trying to teach some principles, and I thought, man, I think this is good. And I could just see the glazed look. I asked one of them, I said, you know, let's, let's talk about prophets, the prophets that kind of uh, predicted the coming of Messiah. What's a prophet? And one of the little dudes said, it's, it's when you make money. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're kind of connecting uh, here. So I, I kind of worked on a fourth grade definition of faith. Faith is this, it's trusting all that I know that I am to all that I know that he is. Because aren't we going to learn more about ourselves? And aren't we going to learn more about the Lord Jesus? But faith is trusting all that I know that I am right now to all that I know that he is. And here's the thing. Faith has the ability to bring the spiritual into the physical. And that's what you need most. What you need most is not a week's vacation and rest, not a bump in income, not your kids to behave a little bit better. What you need most is the power of God to be made manifest in your life. That's what you need most because that's what will change everything. Well, so here's the follow-up question. How do we receive that? We receive that as we grow in faith, right? As our focus is on the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus, our faith begins to grow to take in more of God's power in our life. So first of all, we have to be focused on the right thing, and your faith will grow. Number two, we have to be silent, like, if you want to live a life headed to the hall, you have to be silent. Well, what does that mean? Again, not silent all the time, but let's look back at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. This is an important principle. Watch this. By faith, we understand the that the universe was formed at God's command, meaning God spoke everything that exists into existence with the power of his word. By faith, I believe that. And sometimes people say, well, listen, listen, I don't believe that. I'm a person of, I'm a person of reason. Can I tell you something about faith and reason? Are you, are you with me? Anybody, two of you? Faith never contradicts reason. Faith never contradicts reason, but faith always will move beyond reason, right? There are so many things in the universe that people, people don't have answers for. Faith doesn't contradict reason, but faith moves beyond reason because it moves into the supernatural. So by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was Visible. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. Like, you might be saying, well, how do I know that God exists? That's a question I've always wrestled with. How can I be sure that God I I exists? Well, let's talk about it. The hall, those headed to the hall, are for those who respond to the revelation of God. The Bible, the Bible is, is not this document that just makes this just 
complete ironclad description and philosophical understanding of the nature of God. What the Bible does is God reveals himself. He reveals himself, and a person of faith responds to the revelation of God. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look at Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. Listen to what Scripture says. The heavens, we're going to put it up on the screen. The heavens do what? What's the word? Declare. That's a revelation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Look at this. The skies do what? Say it with me. Proclaim, like speak. That's revelation. That's what God is doing. God has revealed himself and is still revealing himself, and a person of faith responds to the revelation of God, right? And the, uh, the skies proclaim the work of his hand. So here's the point. Like from creation, I challenge you to do this tonight. Go out on the porch. Turn out, turn out all the lights and just look into the stars. Be silent. And I think what you'll notice is that creation screams a creator. Would you see that? Take a look around you. You've traveled some this summer. Creation screams a creator. Right? And, and, and I said this uh, several weeks ago and someone laughed out loud, which was uh, awkward. I think the statement I'm about to make, although it is uh, very simplistic, is true nonetheless. There's only two explanations for why you and I are here in this moment. A cosmic accident or a divine creator. I think creation screams creator. I think creation screams greater. That is God's revelation to us. But that's not the only way that God has revealed himself. In fact, you can just make a reference, Romans 1, 19 through 20, Paul makes the same, same argument. In fact, Paul goes a little bit deeper, and Paul says, you know what? Creation is without excuse. You, 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 we're, we're without excuse to say we deny the existence of God. We should be able to look at creation and, and see that. Here's another way that God has revealed himself. Let me move on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Look at this passage. We won't look at the whole thing, but I'm going to show you this. All Scripture is God, what? Breathe. God reveals himself through the word. Many times the people, it's interesting, the people who have uh, so much problem with the Bible, who attack the Bible uh, so strongly, have never spent any time studying the Scripture. Here's one of the things about people I know that have taken the time to study the Scripture. Uh, there was one here this week. I've, I've talked about his story uh, many times. Uh, when he came to us about five years ago, he was a devout atheist. This week he was sitting right down here in front leading fourth, grade, fourth graders, or excuse me, first graders in vacation Bible school. And one of the things is, yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? One of the things that happened is all of his excuses are just what he's heard people say when he really got uh, silent and just sat under the Scripture. God began to speak to him. Have you ever read Scripture, I mean, and just said, you know what? I mean, what you just read, it's like it gave you a deeper understanding of things going on in your life than you ever thought about before. I mean, you ever read a passage of Scripture and it just stopped you in your tracks? Have you ever done that? Scripture will do that, and that's God's revelation to us. So he reveals himself through creation, he reveals himself through the word. He will reveal himself through the spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. And why is this so important? Because a person of faith is a person who responds to the revelation of God, right? Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, if you as a believer, if you're an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit doesn't reside within you. But if you as a believer make time to be silent, you will begin to listen to the Holy Spirit alive within you convicting you, encouraging you, reminding you of, of truth. So here, here, here we go. If we want to live a life headed to the hall, we have to be focused. 
on the right object, which is the Lord Jesus. We have to be silent and see God's revelation and respond to it. Number three, we have to be serious. Right? And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look at this question. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 4. Let's go back to this story of Cain and Abel again. Right? Adam and Eve's children. Right? Second generation humans on planet Earth. You see, I hear people today say, well, we're in a difficult circumstance today, and the times are, are worse than they've ever been on planet Earth. Well, listen, the things that we're going through today are the same things that we're going, on, going through on planet Earth with the, the second generation of humans that live on planet Earth. Let's just see what the problems are. Look at Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteousness. So here's the point. Abel responded in faith and came to God on God's terms. Cain didn't respond in full faith. He tried to come to God on his own terms. In essence, he wasn't serious about the will of God in his life. And if you want to live a life headed to the hall, you have to be, be serious, right? It's not just that I will obey, obey God when I understand it. So many of us are like that. Listen, I'll just obey when I understand it. That wasn't the way Noah was. It never rained, right? Noah built an ark. He responded even when he didn't understand it. When we don't like it or we don't necessarily agree with it, listen, that's not really being serious about our faith. If you're coming to God on, on, on your own terms, it's, it's not a serious view of your faith. J.D. Greer says this, which is an amazing statement. I really think the church needs to hear it. If you're the kind of person who demands that you agree with what God says before you'll do it, I don't think you understand what it means for him to be Lord. That's a pretty powerful statement. If, if you're one of those people that says you, you've got to agree with God before you do it, that's not what true faith is about. And if you want to live a life that's headed to the hall, the hall is for those who come to God on his terms, not on yours. I'm going to give you a question that I really hope you'd wrestle with just a little bit this week because unless you can really answer this question, it's one of the reasons why you'll stay stuck spiritually, Right? And, and we say this a lot. I think there's a lot of people in the church that might be saved yet stuck spiritually. And here's one of the reasons why we are stuck spiritually. Let's think about this. Here's a question. What is one area of my life in which I'm not taking God seriously? Think about that. There can be many, but what's one area? This would be a great discussion question. What's one area of my life where I'm not taking God seriously? And again, you might say, well, I hadn't been listening too close. What does it mean to, what does it mean to not take God seriously? It's trying to come to God on your terms instead of on his I mean, the Scripture says a lot of things. Let's just think about relationships. Does God, has God called us to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us? Help me. Just give you an Yeah. And so if I'm living with unforgiveness towards someone, then I'm not taking God seriously. Has God called me to keep myself sexually pure until I enter into a covenant marriage relationship with one partner for life? Does the Scripture call me to do that? The answer to that is yes. And so with my morality, if I'm not doing that, I'm coming to God on my own terms. I'm not taking God seriously. Right? And so in so many different areas, this is what it means to live a life headed to the hall. We take the will of God seriously in our life. Number four, I put this in because you're starting to drift. If you want to live a life headed to the hall, you need to be selfish. You ever heard a preacher say that? Some of you, in fact, have just looked up for the first time in the whole message. You're like, yeah, okay. Be selfish. I can do that. I've been doing that in my whole life. In fact, to be honest, I'm pretty good at that. So what in the world, what in the world do you mean if you want to live a life headed to the hall? What does it mean to be selfish? Well, just hang on just a second. And moms and dads, if you're like covering your kids' ears, there was a, there was a couple in the last service. I said this, and they like covered their kids' ears. Like, don't listen to this. They just had to talk about being selfish. I'm going to redefine selfishness for you. But watch this. Don't, don't miss this. Because here's what I think that so many people inside the church grow up believing. 
Like, boy, that Abraham, he sacrificed so much. Must have been miserable, living in tents. Had to leave Ur. Didn't even know where he was going. It's tough sledding. Do you think Abraham got to the end of his life and was like, Sarah, I wish we'd have stayed in Ur. No. Abraham got to experience the presence and the power and the reward of God. He got to experience what God can do in a life that is so far greater than anything he could produce, right? So look, look what the Scripture says, Hebrews eleven six. So we're going to talk about being selfish. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We talked about that. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Okay, yeah. And that he, watch this, rewards those who earnestly seek him. God wants to reward. Scripture says that he rewards our faithful obedience. And here's what I believe. I believe God's reward for acts of obedience, for obedient faith is greater than anything I can produce in my life. Do you you, you see that? I really believe that. But here's what I think is wrong with the church, and I have been there in my life. I think so many people in the church fear the will of God. I think so many people in the church fear the will of God. Like, I want to go to heaven, Jesus. Thank you for taking me to heaven. But I don't want you to ask me to do any hard thing here and now. Don't do that, right? We fear the will of God. Does that make sense? I mean, let's just be honest. Does that make sense? You ever been there in your life? We sort of fear the will of God. Let me say something. It may be the most important thing you're going to hear today. You're wired for the will of God. You are wired for the will of God. Now, now sin has distorted that. But listen, if you want maximum satisfaction in your life, and all of us would agree, that's what we want, right? Yeah, I mean, you can say that. Yeah, I want want that. I want maximum satisfaction in life. It's found in obedience to the will of God. Because let me tell you something about God's will that you fear so much. God's will for your life is what you personally would choose for your life if you knew what God knows about your life. Can I say that to you again? God's will is what you would choose for your life if you knew what God knows about your life. And the key is just being selfish. But like, I I think we have to have a new view of what it means to to be selfish. The old view of selfish is this. Old view of selfish. Are you with me? Don't, I don't want you to leave here. What was the message about? Pastor just said be selfish, so I'm going to do that today. Like I liked it. It's a good sermon. Old view of selfish is this. Do what you want to do first. Please yourself first. Now, the problem with the old view is when you please self first, satisfaction begins to diminish in your life. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. I hear this every single week. I heard it this week. And people say this like it's this outlier, strange circumstance and situation. They say, Pastor Brady, I just got to tell you, man, I just, I just know this guy. He makes tons of money. His wife makes tons of money. They, they don't just have one house. They have two houses. They have multiple houses. And, and we just spend time. They're miserable. And that just seems to be, I'm not, I'm not saying money's bad. I'm not, 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 that's not my point. But we just seem to be blown away that anybody could have what the world says you need to have and not be fully satisfied. It doesn't work that way. It works just the opposite, right? Here's a new view of selfishness because everybody in this room wants pleasure, wants satisfaction, right? Wants comfort, wants to experience the fullness of life. Everybody in this room wants the same thing, right? I mean, I know the answer is yes. Yeah, but how do you get it? The new view of selfishness is this because if I want that, the new view of selfishness is that you use God's will first, And the satisfaction begins to explode. Try the other way, it doesn't work. I have to tell you, this is embarrassing. Like we're getting ready for vacation Bible school. We just 
didn't have enough workers, didn't have enough workers. And I, I, was, I mean, God was doing something in my life. COVID is, is just, man, it's, it is, it's done a lot of things for me that are good. Like, I, 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 God was just saying, man, you just need to get back to the basics. You need to jump in there and just start serving. Quit walking around and look like you're serving. Jump in and do something. Now, he didn't say it that way, but anyways. So I, I just told Josh, I said, man, I want, I, want just, I want to lead fourth graders. Put me in with fourth graders, coach. I'll, I'll, do, I'll lead fourth graders. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there with those kids this week. and I'll, I'll have to be honest with you. At first, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I came home. My, my wife can attest to that. I was tired. It was an amazing week. I had so much fun. I had so much fun. I learned so much from them and saw God do some incredibly cool things. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it just reminded me again to pursue selfishness. Dude, be selfish with a new view. Choose God's will first and watch the satisfaction follow. Jim Elliott said it this way. He is no fool. This is a, Jim Elliott was a, a missionary. He lost his life in Ecuador. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the hall is for those who redefine selfish. Everybody wants pleasure. Everybody wants satisfaction. We just don't know how to get it. You're wired for the will of God. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it and watch what might happen in your life. Let, let's look at the, the fifth thing. You need to be prepared. I know I hear the music playing. Some of you are like, do you hear that? He's playing. I hear you. Watch this. Be prepared. Look at verse 13. As your pastor, it seems like I talk about this all the time, but the word of God is so clear on this. Here's what the ancients were commended for. Here's what faith looks like. Faith isn't just being happy when great circumstances happen. I hear people say this. Don't be offended by this. How are you doing? I'm blessed. You know what blessed means in contemporary Christianity? You got money in the bank and you're healthy and your kids are behaving and your wife likes you. But let me tell you something. There's going to be time you're not going to have money in the bank. Your wife's not going to like you. Your kids aren't going to be behaving. You're going to be sick. And then, what do you, and then where are you? Well, I'm not blessed. No. You see? Different circumstances, the core of who you are is still, still the same, right? Look what he says. All these people, verse 13, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Those living a life headed to the hall, listen to this. You've got to be prepared for this. Living a life that's headed to the hall is for those who realize the plot of their life will not be resolved in this broken world. Not every broken and dysfunctional relationship you have in your life will be resolved. Not every person that gets sick will be healed. There'll be difficulties and tough circumstances. Like three minutes before I come out to preach in the first service today, a text from a mom who's driving back from Nashville to talk to her three boys on Father's Day about what they're having to go do, and that's make end-of-life decisions for their dad on Father's Day. That's a tough day. That's a painful day. And if this is all there is, and that doesn't make any sense, but a person of faith understands the storyline of their life is not going to be resolved in this broken world, but there is a day coming. There's a day coming when he will restore all things and we will step into the presence of a God in the new heaven and it will be worth it.
That's what the ancients were commended for, a faith that looked ahead. They were prepared. And then the last thing, and then we're done, need to be focused on the right object of our faith. We need to be silent so we can respond to the revelation of God. We need to be serious. We don't come to God on our terms, but on His. We need to be selfish, but we need to redefine what it means to be selfish. We need to be prepared. And then finally, we need to be secure. Something's got to anchor our soul in this turbulent world. Look at verse 6, the first part of it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What did we say when we read through this the first time? But with faith, with this dependence on the Lord Jesus, but with faith, it is now possible to please God. And let me tell you something. Isn't that what you want and need more than anything else, to know that you have the pleasure of God, the creator of the universe? Do you want that? Please, wake up. Yes. I mean, so many guys in 30 years of doing counseling, so many men have real issues that are unresolved from their dad because what they wanted all their life growing up as a little boy is they wanted the pleasure of their father. They wanted to know that they were approved or accepted by their dad. And some of you never got it. And the storyline of your life is not completely resolved. But the truth of Scripture says this, with faith, you can have the pleasure of the Father. And that, my friend, can anchor your soul in this broken and turbulent world. Without it, you don't you don't stand a chance. You see, here's the truth about the hall. The hall is for those who know by faith they have the pleasure of their Father. That's what happens when we trust Christ and Christ alone. You see, but here's immediately what some of you are probably going to. Watch this. Watch this. You know what? To say that God is pleased with me, I just don't believe that because I've got a past. I've made so many mistakes. I just can't get to a place of thinking that the God of the universe and all of his holiness is pleased with me. I just, that doesn't seem right. Well, I want you to do something with me for just a second. Let's go back to the hall of faith. Let's look at all of these characters that are in the hall of faith. Can I ask you this question? If you make it in the Bible, in the hall of faith, that's pretty good. Would you agree with that? Okay. Yeah, some of you. All right, let's start with, with, with Abraham, right? He's in there. Do you know what he was, among other things? He was a liar. He lied about his wife, Sarah, not once but twice because he was scared. He said, hey, Sarah, they want to take you. Is that right? So don't, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. Hall of faith life, bro. Way to go, Abraham. Sarah, right? Sarah sends one of her maids, uh, servants, to go have a sexual relationship with her husband, Abraham, to try to produce offspring. Okay, Sarah. Right? Noah built an ark. You know what happened after the ark landed on dry ground? Noah built something else, planted something else. You know what it was? Vineyard. Know what, know what Noah did after the vineyard ripened? Yeah. Hammered. Exposed himself to his kids in his tent. Passed out drunk. Some of you are turning now in your Bible to see. Right? This is not for a laugh. Those in the hall of faith were flawed, but they were forgiven. Let's talk about Rahab. She's in there. Know what she did for a living? 
Don't even want to say it in church, do you? Oldest profession. Let's talk about King David. Murderer and adulterer. I was thinking about this in light of Bible school and doing background checks. Here's what I believe. Most of the people in the Hall of Faith wouldn't have passed a background check to serve in Bible school last week. That's just the truth, isn't it? Right? Abraham, can't use you. Can't trust you, bro. Sarah, ah, the kids don't need to hear that. (laughs) Noah, no. David, not a chance. (laughs) But they are counted faithful, not because of what they did, but because of their trust in what the Lord Jesus did on their behalf. That's good news, isn't it? See, faith makes it possible. Faith makes it possible for you. So don't believe the lie of the enemy. You can, from this day forward, through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in you, live a hall of faith life. Don't let a lie disqualify you from what God wants you to do and what he can do. Let me close with this question. I'm out of time and you're tired of listening. Why is it so hard to live by faith? You ever thought about that? Why is it so hard to live by faith? God wants you to spell it out. Why is it so hard to live by faith? Um, Could it be one of the reasons why it's so hard to live by faith today is there are so few inductees. There are so few current inductees into the hall of faith. And you say, well, I I don't understand what you're saying. Watch this. If you're a follower of Christ... The purpose of your life, see if you agree with this, the purpose of your life is to be a visible representation of an invisible God. That's what it means to bring God glory. The purpose of your life, do you agree with that? The purpose of your life is to be a visible representation of an invisible God. And I believe one of the reasons why it is so hard for people in our generation to live by faith is there are so few inductees. But I wonder if there's anybody in this room today that would say, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those men. I want to be one of those women. I want to be a young person that's headed for the hall and can be a visible representation of this invisible God so that others may see the nature of God by the way I live, the way I speak, by the way I forgive, by the way I love, by the way I serve. They may see the nature of our God. That's what God's calling you to. And it all starts with faith. Believing that God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he will do. And one of the things that he will do today is if you will trust Christ and Christ alone, he will completely save you and forgive you if you'd let him do that. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this hall of faith that is meant to be an encouragement to us to persevere in our faith. Lord, thank you for the challenges and thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you most of all that with faith all things are now possible. We can be born again. We can be set free. We can see marriages healed. We can begin to experience your supernatural power in our everyday lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.